Good evening, everybody. Good to see you all. Welcome to our evening service, which is going to be a little bit different um, this evening. As we're looking at the topic of um, dying well, and what will be more of a seminar, I guess, than a particular sermon. During my sabbatical last year, I read this book um, by John Wyatt called Dying Well, which has been inspiration in many ways for this evening. John Wyatt, um, is, his title is Emeritus Professor of Neonatal Pediatrics at UCL, and he's written various books about life and death from a Christian perspective. And what it says on the back of the book is, we need to talk about death. And he asks these questions, he says, are we in danger of over-medicalizing it? Can we really see death as a time of opportunity, both for us and for our loved ones? What do we mean by resurrection hope? So I found it both um, a challenge in many ways, um, in terms of my own approach to death, but also an encouragement, an encouragement to how as Christians we should approach the reality of death. As a pastor, I've seen many people face their, their own death, um, or the death of a loved one in, in different ways. Um, myself, I've experienced the death of uh, my brother and my father, and last year, as you know, we lost a uh, Liz's mother. And some of you would have faced the prospects of your own death, maybe even live, living with that right now. But whatever your situation, I hope this evening will be helpful, because one thing we can be sure of is that we will all one day die, and therefore we should be able to, to talk about it. And one of the questions we need to think about is how will we approach it? Will we approach it with fear or denial or in the way Mark Ashton, a vicar from Cambridge, did when his surgeon told him he had six to nine months to live. He responded by saying that for a Christian believer, that was not bad news, but good news. It was not the end of the story, but the beginning. Let me read from 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul writes to the Christians in Thessalonica, Brothers, we want you to know about those who have died. We do not want you to be sad as others who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. So because of Jesus, God will bring together with Jesus those who have died. What we tell you now is the Lord's own message. We who are living now may still be living when the Lord comes again. We who are living at that time will be with the Lord, but not before those who have already died. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. There'll be a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And those who have died and were in Christ will rise first. After that, those who are still alive at that time will be gathered up with them. We will be taken up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we'll be with the Lord forever. So comfort each other with these words. Let's pray. Father God, we recognize that this subject of death is, is a hard one. It's a painful one. It reminds us of those we have lost. It makes us afraid of losing those we love. and makes us aware of our own mortality. But we thank you that Jesus has showed us that death is not the end. Because you raised him to life, we too can look forward to our own resurrection one day. 
We thank you for the wonderful eternal hope we have of being with you forever. And so help us this evening, Lord, to talk about the subject, to have a greater focus on the glory to come and the blessings of this life, which will fade into insignificance. Reassure us with your presence and your love this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think it's fair to say that um, death is still a taboo subject in our Western society. You might ask, well, why is that? I think there's a number of reasons for it. Probably one of the main ones is the advancements in medicine. Uh, Death is just much less common than it would have been maybe 150 years ago. In the 19th century, 15% of children died in their first year, and nearly a half died before they reached adulthood. Most adults died at home um, with their family around them, so it was a normal part of life. By contrast, life expectancy in the UK now is about 80, and the average age that we first suffer a bereavement of someone very close to us is 20. Another big reason is probably that life today just has more to offer, particularly in Western society. Materialism, the leisure industry, travel opportunities have given us a greater attachment to this world, less of a desire to, to leave it. So people prefer just not to talk about it. And the worrying thing is that even amongst Christians, death is not really talked about very much. And that's despite the fact that the Bible has a, a lot to say about it. For example, what does the Bible teach us? Well, it teaches us that um, death was not part of God's original design. It was a consequence of humankind's rebellion against him. Death is an enemy of humankind that brings pain and suffering and separation. It causes us to weep and to mourn. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, it says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The good news is that through the resurrection of Jesus' death, Jesus has defeated death. As it also says in 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. And so Jesus has made it possible for us to to live with him forever in a new heavens and a new earth earth if we trust in him as our saviour. Thessalonians 4 says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And the result for us now, as it also says in that chapter, is that we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So how does this Bible teaching affect the way we approach death as Christians? Well, it should give us a very different approach. And what we're going to look at this evening is what are are the challenges of dying? What are the opportunities of dying? What does it mean to say to live as Christ and to die is gain? I'm going to start with the challenges. The first one of those, I think, is denial. As I said, we've been incredibly blessed with medical advancements uh, that we've seen over the last century. Many killer diseases like smallpox, Polio, tetanus have been virtually eradicated in this country. Even cancer survival rates have doubled in the past 40 years. The temptation is to think that medicine can keep death at bay indefinitely. 
And that may make us want to cling on to life. After all, that is the goal of medics, to, uh, to do all they can to keep us alive. And we're very grateful to them, all their hard work. But the danger is that we end up putting our trust in them instead of in God. And that can lead to an unhealthy situation in which we end up not really talking about the, the prospect of death for fear that we give the impression that the battle against the disease has been lost. Medics, quite rightly, want the patient to uh, keep thinking positively. The patient doesn't want to upset family members by making them think that he or she has, has given up. The family members don't want to upset the patient by giving him or her the impression that they have given up. And so, instead of an honesty and an openness about the prospect of death, that precious time becomes this sense of pretense, almost. And it means that it's often not until the doctor says... I'm sorry, but there is nothing more that we can do for you. That the reality of death is acknowledged and talked about. And so the whole time leading up to that point can be spent clinging on to the possibility that there may be a cure. I experienced that with my dad who died of cancer about three months after the original diagnosis. The possibility of surgery being being held out there until, until the end. I experienced it with my brother where we hoped that a liver transplant might be possible. Hope is a good thing. But if we're placing it in medicine at the expense of accepting God's wonderful purposes for our life, then we'll miss out on the opportunity to grow closer to God during this time. We'll come back to that. There's denial. There's uh, secondly doubt and fear. Although as Christians we believe we're going to be with God when we die, we don't know exactly what that process will involve, and so we might become fearful of it. They make us start to question our faith. It's not uncommon for even the most mature of believers to experience doubts in their faith in their final stages of life. What if there is no God? What if it's not all about grace and I haven't done enough? Not only is that hard for the patient, it may be hard for them to admit to, to their loved ones that they're struggling with doubts, and they may just keep those doubts to themselves. There's also the fear of becoming separated from our loved ones, the worry that they may not be able to cope without us. And when there are children involved, that can be really hard. There's physical and emotional pain the dying process often involves a lot of physical pain, emotional stress as the body ceases to function. That can in turn lead to a loss of, of dignity in different ways. And all that has an impact on the patient and the family. Maybe experimentation with a whole range of different uh, drugs and medicines that lead to awful side effects. Maybe the patient's just too tired to have any meaningful interaction with family members. And all of that, there's the uncertainty about whether the treatment will be effective or if it's palliative, how, how long will it go on for? The patient may become impatient and just want to go and be with the Lord. It may mean that the patient simply feels unable to pray or read the Bible or, or listen to a service or, or a talk. They may become wrapped up in them themselves and their problems and lose an awareness of the needs of others. 
There may be dementia involved, which adds a whole load of complications to that process. And finally, there is the loss of control. I think however much we acknowledge that as Christians we depend on God in all things, there is still part of us that likes to be in control. That relies on certainty, that relies on making our plans for our life. And the illness, of course, throws that all out the window. We know when we're ill for a short while that everything has to stop. We can't go to work, we can't do all the things that we want to do. And when it's a prolonged life threatening illness, then it's not just a short-term inconvenience, but we have to recognize that our whole life is no longer in our hands. So if those are some of the challenges, well, what about the opportunities that dying presents? Well, first of all, depending more on God, trusting more in God. Our Christian faith is all about trusting in God, isn't it, for our salvation? And we grow in our faith by, by trusting in him for everything that happens to us. It's easy to trust in him when things are going well. But it's when we trust in him when things are going badly that we really do grow in our faith. The ultimate test is to trust in God when we're dying. To accept that our illness is part of God's good purpose for us. He could stop us becoming more ill. He could heal us from our illness. And if he chooses not to, then we, we trust that it must be for a reason. He must know what is best. In the book of Job, it's clear that Satan is the one who afflicted Job with the death of his children, his servants, and the loss of all that he had. But we're told that God allowed him to do so. And Job knew this, and so he said... Oops, not on there. Naked I come, I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. As he said to his wife, Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. But he prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's when we submit totally to God and trust him and his plans for us that we can experience his love in a new and more powerful way. Which brings us on to our next point, that dying can lead to us growing closer to God and wanting to be with him. When John Piper was diagnosed with cancer several years ago, he wrote a short booklet, which some of you may have read. Um, It's entitled, Don't Waste Your Cancer. One of the points he made was this. He said, we waste our cancer if we spend too much time reading about cancer and not enough time reading about God. He says it's not wrong to know about cancer. Ignorance is not a virtue. But the lure to know more and more and the lack of zeal to know God more and more is, a symptom, is symptomatic of unbelief. Cancer is meant to awaken us to the reality of God. He quotes from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord 
who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. Many of you know Pippa King, who went to be with the Lord last year, when she was first diagnosed with terminal cancer a couple of years prior to that. She was offered all sorts of um, surgery and treatment, but she knew where she was going. She was excited to be going there. Why prolong the pain and suffering in this life, she thought. Why waste the time left here on earth in hospital appointments and suffering from side effects when she could spend the time focusing on her spiritual health, preparing for going to be with the Lord. She enjoyed reading through many books of the Bible, books that she hadn't looked at before, Isaiah, Revelation. She spent much time with her mum, Lila. Really blossomed spiritually during that time. It was hard seeing the pain she was in, her body being ravaged by the, the cancer, and I can't imagine how difficult that would have been for her mum and dad. And yet you could see a spiritual beauty lying beneath the decaying physical body. The Anglican Book of Common Prayer includes this following prayer for those who are ill. Sanctify, O Lord, the sickness of your servant, that the sense of her weakness may add strength to her faith and seriousness to her repentance. And grant that she may live with you in everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our whole lives are leading to the point where we go to be with God. And so we should see our dying as the, the climax of our lives in which we're able to prepare ourselves spiritually to be able to go with him. Those who've gone through that process or are going through it often speak of just how close they have become to, to God. And it's driven by a greater focus on where they're going and a greater desire to be there. As Paul wrote in Philippians, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Or as Stephen said as he was being stoned, he said, look, I see heaven open. The Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And Job submitted fully to God's wisdom and goodness. He said, surely I spoke of things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He experienced God in a much deeper way. The American pastor and author Tim Keller, who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer a couple of years ago, described his own experience of growing closer to God during this time in an interview which uh, Nicky Gumbel did with him during lockdown which you're going to watch uh, watch now let's uh, spend a few minutes I think it's about five minutes long this part of the video uh, all my life I've been telling people is God's will good or not and uh, when this happened the very first day you start to realize you, you say that you know that God is available experientially. And when you actually get up every day realizing you're not going to be able to get through the day unless you experience God today, unless you go to him and actually seek him in prayer, seek his presence. Uh, all of my life I've told people it's available, and occasionally I have experienced it myself too. But when you actually uh, 
you're really motivated to go after it. You begin to realize, oh my goodness, he really is there, and he's real. Hmm. Communion with him is really available. Uh, not every single day, but far more often than I would have thought. And basically, Kathy and I, Kathy and my greatest fear, and this is not, uh, I'm not just saying this, our greatest fear is that if I get a really good diagnosis, a really good uh, response to the cancer, and I really do well, and I really am able to you know, live for a number of more years, we never want to go back spiritually where we were before the cancer diagnosis. We never want to go back to that. Because in spite of all the things I've already preached, and I wasn't a hypocrite exactly, but the reality is most of us say we need to depend on God, but we actually think we've got it sorted. We feel like we've got everything under control because we've thought this out, and we've got savings, and we've got these people, and we've got this, and that we're basically under control. And we know technically that we're mortal. We know technically that God is in charge of everything. But we actually experientially don't believe it until life gets beyond your ability to control it. And when that happens, you turn to God, you say, oh my goodness, he really is there. He is enough. I'm actually happier than I've ever been on a given day. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy I enjoy the things around me in a way I've never enjoyed before. I see them as gifts of God. And I enjoy my prayer life more than I ever have in my life. And we just don't want to go back to that. We also cry every day just about every day, about the, uh, about uh, about me having cancer. And, and certainly, as you may know, if, you know, married couples who face things like this, is that I am far more ready to die than for Kathy. Kathy is, I'm more ready to die than, than Kathy is ready to live longer than me. Yeah. I would feel the same way. So if Kathy had something that looked like it was going to take her before me, she would be more resigned to dying because after that's the resurrection, you know, than I would be to be living without her. So she actually has her own sorrows. And yet both of us would say we are not, we never want to go back to the way we were before. But how, how do you deal with the fears? My fear isn't dying. My fear is actually leaving her behind. And that's her biggest fear as well. It's just a, it's a terrible fear. I don't know if you knew Jim Boyce. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce. He was at the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia okay. for many years. Um, he died of liver cancer uh, only about, I don't know, probably two months after he was diagnosed. He went to the congregation because he really couldn't preach anymore, but he went in there just to do the call to worship and to speak to them one last time because he knew he would die soon. Because one of the things he says is, God's will is good. He says, I've always taught you this. Of course, he's Presbyterian. God's will is always good and perfect. And they said, if you change God's will one day, it would be one day less good. Hmm. But if you, if, you, if, you could, if you could live one day longer than God had planned for you, his will, your will would be less good than his will. So he says, if I, I don't know what day I'm supposed to die, but it's a good and it's perfect. And I've always taught you that, and I'm still trusting that, and I believe that. Uh, and so Kathy and I are clinging to that part that if she's going to outlive me, then there's things that she, God has for her to do. You spoke of the resurrection. Just say, why, why are you so confident of that? So back in um, the early part of the year, I started a book on the resurrection, and it was about two-thirds done when I was told I had cancer, pancreatic cancer. So I'm writing this book on the resurrection. It's the evidence for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is incredibly strong. And I look at that and I'm saying, you know, this really happened. There is no way to explain the early church. There's no way to explain 
how everybody suddenly started, how all these Jews started worshiping a, a human being immediately. There is no way to explain the witnesses, all these eyewitnesses. There's no way. He really rose from the dead. And by the way, if he did, and he did, I'm going to be okay. I mean, in other words, so I'm writing this book, and at the rational level, um, it just took down the fears because I, I was just saying, it really happened. There is no historically plausible alternate explanation for the birth of the Christian church and the resurrection, the real physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I was reading, I was working on that, I was saying, this really happened, if this really happened, then I'm going to be okay, and so is Kathy. Well, lots of wise words there. Uh, but one of the, the things that uh, Tim kind of mentioned, apart from that growing closer to God, that wonderful opportunity to do that, is just appreciating the things around us. Um, we all know that our time on earth is limited. And it's very easy, isn't it, to take things for granted, to assume they will always be there. They'll be there for us to enjoy when we choose to. And it's often when we become ill or, or injured and are unable to do things that we then have a, a renewed sense of appreciation for them. And for those who are told they only have months to live rather than years, each day takes on a different significance. They'll often experience an appreciation for the things around them in a new way. Dying makes us aware of life's joyful experiences that we previously took for granted. It reminds us that we're there as a gift in the first place anyway. We never had a right to them. They didn't belong to us. The walk down the, the country lane seeing the, the, the hedgerows come to life in the spring, the sound of the new lambs in the field, the, the birds singing in the trees, the joy of listening to, to music, playing sport, looking at works of, of art, going to the theatre, just the joy of, of laughter. And the fact that we have eyes and ears and a healthy body that enables us to do all these things. When those who are ill simply experience a better day than the previous one. It gives them a reason to be grateful. But above all, above all those who have been given a terminal diagnosis will tell you that what they most appreciate is relationships, which leads us onto our next opportunity, which is enjoying the love of other people. Being made in the image of God, we are made as relational beings. Uh, relationships are important to us. And yet so often we... We neglect them. We fail to tell people just how much they, they mean to us, how much we love them, how much we appreciate them. Fortunately, Father's Day came a few weeks before my dad died. I was able to send him a card and a letter just expressing how much I loved him and all that he'd done for me during his life. Dying is a chance to say how we... We feel it's a chance to restore those relationships that may have been broken or neglected. It's a chance to offer forgiveness and seek reconciliation. I know we're not Jesus, and it was his death on the cross that achieved our forgiveness, but we can still follow his example when he said about his persecutors, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. After all, Stephen said the same thing when he was being stoned. He, we're told he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's an opportunity for forgiveness. It's also an opportunity for good relationships to be made stronger. 
And it often happens when we're honest with others, when we take off the, the mask, reveal our weakness, our fears, when we express our vulnerability. It's then that we become closer to one another. I mentioned before about how death can lead to fear and doubt. And it's at these times that we need the, the encouragements of others, and we should be honest enough to ask for it. When we're doubting our faith, we need somebody to remind us of God's promises in his word. For example, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't need to worry about that. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. It is a gift. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. These encouragements and many more we can give to those who are beginning to doubt. We need people to remind us of these truths. We're also to pray for us when we don't feel that we're able to. We feel able to read the Bible. Of course, the more we experience the love of others, the harder it becomes to say goodbye. But there's comfort in knowing that it's a temporary separation. The person dying is just going ahead of us to take hold of their crown. And we rejoice with them in that. Just as we can enjoy the love of others for us. It's also a joy to show love to others and to share our hope with them. Which brings us on to the final point. Loving others and sharing our hope with them. It's one of the experience when you go to, to visit someone in hospital or at home. Uh, somebody who's dying to encourage them. And you come away more encouraged than, uh, than they have been from that visit. Such is their faith in the Lord. Maybe because of their strong faith, and maybe because of just that sense of peace and hope and joy that they, that they show. Maybe because of their interest in how you are doing. Um, and Dunville's husband, Peter, Joe Higson's dad, left a wonderful impression on the nurses in the hospital before he died because of his concern for them, because of his joyful disposition. Joe was telling me how his, his friend couldn't believe that Peter would take the trouble to phone him up to see how he was doing. And Peter was the one who was dying. Loving others means making sure they are well looked after when you're no longer around. Again, Jesus modeled this on the cross. We are told when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. We can only do what we can and leave the rest in, in God's hands. So we can ensure we've, we've made a will. We've left our financial affairs in order. Dying is a last opportunity to use what God has given us to, to bless others in the work of his kingdom on this earth. We can help others by making clear our wishes with regards to medical intervention, by filling out an advanced decision. We sort out a power of attorney for our health and welfare as well as our finances. 
It's also a wonderful help to our families when we may clear our funeral wishes and talk openly about what we want in the funeral service. A terminal illness will also mean we have limited time to tell others about Jesus. But in that time, there will inevitably be opportunities as we reassure people of the hope we have in Jesus beyond this life and encourage them to explore that hope for themselves. Well, as we come to an end, it'd be easy just to leave it here, thinking, well, that's all good, and I'll try and remember it when I get to that stage in life, but I'm not dying at the moment. But going back to Philippians 1, Paul wrote these words. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yeah, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. What does that mean, to, to live as Christ, to die as gain? Well, it means we shouldn't have to wait until we know we are dying to enjoy the opportunities that, that dying may bring. We can become more dependent on God now. We can grow closer to God now. We can appreciate the things around us now. We can enjoy the love of other people now. We can love others and share our hope with them now. And the way in which we do that is by having our eyes fixed on the finishing line and trusting in where we're going and looking forward to that. As it says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I'm going to finish by asking Nigel to come up. And um, Nigel, you may know, is somebody who has had cancer. And um, I'll give you that, Nigel. And... Um, is always, I guess, constantly aware that it could come back. Um, you have regular checks to see what's happening. Uh, I guess there's always that, that sense of it's never really going away. And I just want to ask you, Nigel, to share with us, how, how has this led you to live your life? How has it changed the way you live your life? Also with, with Helen, with her Addison's disease, um, you're both sort of on the brink, aren't you, most of the time. Do you want to share just with us how, how you've lived in the light of that? Um, yeah, it's... It's an interesting one, really, because um, I, I think um, who was the gentleman who was um, showing about his um, uh, Tim Keller. Yeah, um, when he said, "Actually, I know the theory of actually everything I believe," and suddenly it became reality, and, and, and that really kind of just struck a note with me. Um, and probably we kind of started on the the facing this issue with with Helen with her Addison's disease. Um, because that was undiagnosed for months and months, but we knew she was getting iller and iller and iller. And um, 
we went through that with deep concern, but this kind of assurance that God was there somehow through what was going on. And we got to the point when we knew Helen was really poorly and um, we realised that probably she wasn't going to survive much longer. And we were just having this conversation together about how, we'd look after, how I would look after the children and what lay ahead of us. And it was only when we actually saw the consultant and he'd asked for a test and a department in the hospital said it's going to be two weeks. And he said, if she's here in two days, um, I'll be surprised. And we were sitting there in the consultation while he was kind of arguing with his colleagues. And he thought, wow, this is really, really close. Um, and you realise actually at that point um, that you really need to think about death, you need to think about the future. Um, fast forwarding a little bit when um, Ad um, was faced with cancer, it was a little bit before that. And I've told the story many times, we were on Holy Island um, and we saw this verse on a rock put there by the monastery, which was Psalm 93. And it was mightier than the thunder of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. God is mighty and underneath it just said, God's bigger than all our problems. And from then on, I began to have this deep assurance that whatever happened in life, it wasn't the answers and it wasn't answered prayer that was important. It was, it was actually God and I didn't need to trust in outcomes. I just needed to trust in God. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, there were a few days of sort of turbulence of just trying to come to terms with what that might mean and, and the uncertainty. And then this incredible peace just settled on probably me, but both of us very rapidly, that suddenly we actually knew that the outcome wasn't important. It really didn't matter. It was actually that we were safe in God's hands. And we may not include me in it. We could be Helen and the children, but it was just this kind of peace. And I think since then, we've just had an assurance that the outcome doesn't matter because one day we will die. Um, and actually, that verse for me, to, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'd often thought, what does that mean? Because, you know, as a young child, I thought there's so much I want to do in life. I don't want to, you know, yes, heaven will be great, but actually I want to do all the things I want to do. I want to get married. I want to do this. I want to do that. And actually, if you can get to a point where to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, there's a joy in actually thinking that if it's difficult, heaven's ahead of us. And actually this doesn't matter. But also to live is great in Christ. Um, and actually I think the, the two things, and it's probably difficult to explain, the, the two things that seem to come into much sharper focus is every day special. Um, we often laugh about it. We have this phrase, um, carpe diem, which is seize the day. Um, and Helen and I will love just doing things, um, not going a bucket list, but being with people, um, doing stuff and enjoying time with people in life because we're actually conscious that one day that stage in life will have gone. But actually the next bit's just, the next bit's amazing. I mean, think of heaven. Um, and we've got that in front of us. Um, and it doesn't mean that we won't fear things. It doesn't mean that um, there won't be scary moments. And probably, you know, Helen's probably best at scaring me when she has an Addison's crisis because you're trying to mix up all the injections quickly and bring her back round and 
you know, that is a little bit scary. But actually in that, there's never been terror. You just know that actually, if it doesn't work out, it would be desperately, you know, I'd, I'd miss her. But actually, um, you know, the assurance of knowing where she's going is wonderful. This year I've, um, we've, I've had a close friend and an uncle that have faced death without the Lord. And, and, and I've been speaking to them right until days before they died and, and almost saying, don't you want that assurance of faith? And they were determined that they didn't. And for me, that was desperately sad, but it also is, it's reminded us that actually we have a hope in life and death. And there's no need to be morbid about life now and um, locked onto illness or locked onto disease. You can live life to the full with the assurance that actually, you know, one day we'll meet the Lord. And, and what it's felt like to me is we start to that point where it just felt like we were about to sail through a storm, mighty in the thunder of many waters, mighty in the waves of the sea. And it, what it felt like was that God was just saying, look at the lighthouse and actually you're going to go through a storm. And actually what you may end up is in a safe harbour. But actually you may end up touching the lighthouse. And one day we'll have sailed through all the storms and actually we'll be at the lighthouse and we'll be meeting the Lord. And that's, that's the wonderful assurance that we have. You know, Christ our hope in life and death. So that's it really. Thank you, Nigel. That's wonderful to hear. Um, yeah, you and Helen are a great example of those who, as you say, live life to the full, carpe diem, and show love to others in uh, so many ways. And we praise you for that and thank God for you both. Um, thank you. Yeah. Yes, Len, go on. When I, was, when I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, I was very, very angry because I thought, I can't be a, a cancer. I'm a born again, spirit-filled Christian. I'm, I'm full of joy. And they, they said, sorry, they said, yeah, you, you definitely got cancer in two parts of it, prostate. So there's two options. And I had to have it taken out. So I've been off the and going, what am I doing here? I should, I should be here. I mean, but they took the can, they took it out. And I went home and, uh, Betty came and said, oh, you was in denial. You was in denial. I said, no, I wasn't in denial. I just couldn't cope with it. So, sorry ladies and Helen, I completely shut down and I used to come into this church and I say, I want answers, I want answers, what's going on? And poor Neil, and, uh, Neil, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, no, it's not, it can't happen to me, you know. So then you've got to put your life back together, so where do you start putting your life back together when you got nothing? All this experience I had. Fall on the floor, speaking in tongues, everything. And then God said, no, I love you. I'm your dad. And suddenly he hit me and it's like, he's there, he's a dad. And then that's, sorry, this morning I had a close encounter at the back there. I wanted to dance around the church, I was so happy. Knowing that God loves me, he loves all of you. But we've got to let him in. As John Billy was saying, you've got to let him in, you've got to let him know. And you've got to know that he is loved, you're loved. And he looks at you and he says, I love you. Sorry. Excellent. That's great. That's great, thank you. Anybody else want to share while we're... Let's have a moment just of quiet, I think, to reflect on what we've heard this evening. And um, 
Yeah, for you to speak to the Lord and listen to him and uh, pray that you'd know his peace as you do so. There's a moment of quiet and uh, in a while Helen will lead us with the final, final song. Let's pray. Father God, you know how many days we have left on this earth. We pray you would teach us to number them aright that we would use them well for your glory. We would enjoy the blessings you've given us. We would enjoy the the people you've put in our lives. We would love them as you have loved us. Lord, we pray for those for whom those days appear to be very limited. Lord, remove any fears they have, remove any doubts. Lord, Help them experience you in all your reality. May they know your presence with them. Lord, may we all have that desire to know you in a, in a deeper way. To not put that off to a later date, but to desperately seek your presence and your power. Lord, thank you that we have the great hope We know that death has been defeated. We know that Jesus will come again one day and take us to be with him. And Lord, we look forward to that day. Bless you. Amen. Amen.